one and all, and welcome to the penultimate edition of Talking T20 with me, Daniel Norcross, and my fabulous uh, Benjamin Button sidekick, who seems to get younger with every week. It's Matt Roller. Matt, welcome aboard. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be joining you, as always, yet again. Well, I'm sorry we, weren't, we didn't have you uh, last week for company, or indeed anybody for company last week, but that was largely because events took over elsewhere, and let's face it, there's an unseemly and massive gap between the quarterfinals of the Vitality T20 Blast and finals day itself, the final finals day. Today, we're going to be looking ahead to that finals day, looking at the things we like, the things we don't like, prognostications on who may win, who may get through to the finals, What, looking back slightly at our predictions, some of which have gone a little bit awry. But let us begin with a review of those quarter-final matches that took place what seems like an eon ago now. It's during the Old Trafford Test match. They were extremely awkwardly designed and placed. It meant that the first game that took place between Lancashire and Essex couldn't even be played at Lancashire's home ground. Lancashire were sent up to Chesterley Street to play their game. And having sailed through the group stages and looked really uh, one of the more impressive sides in the tournament, if not the most impressive side, along with Sussex, they got hijacked, they got burgled, they got, frankly, destroyed in the end by Essex, who, a six-wicket victory with a couple of balls to spare, doesn't quite do that game justice, does it, Matt? I know that the Lank skipper was not... Well, he was a little contrite after the game. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think Lancashire, by no means, had the rubber the green in it. Um, they got 159 batting first, which looked like a pretty useful score on what was a, a typical Durham surface, quite slow and low. Uh, plenty in it for the spinners and for the pace-off merchants, uh, you know, big square boundaries and everything. Uh, but it was always going to get uh, better to bat on with the rain. It was always going to get harder to grip the ball, um, and so it proved. I thought Lancashire were probably ahead with, you know, five, four, three overs to go, even two overs to go. They looked probably marginal favourites, and, uh, yeah, then the, the fateful decision to bring on Liam Livingston rather than uh, Matt Parkinson or Saqib Mahmood uh, for the penultimate over horribly backfired really and uh, yeah it's um, it's slightly remarkable as we'll touch upon that Essex have made it this far they've won 6 out of their 15 scheduled games so far uh, which probably tells you the story of what has been a you know a bit of a burgling to make it. Um... Well, nearly all those have come at the back end. They, they got an early win in their second game against Surrey, the, the incredible Cameron Delport game. Mm. But thereafter, if they could get under on the pitch, which was rare, they lost. Then they had that marvellous run to get them through, effectively on net run rate. By the end, uh, no one saw it happening. And then to take on one of the best sides of the tournament and win, Ravi Bapara. 39 not out of 18 balls, hugely instrumental in that. Again, Ryan Tenderscarter. These are the guys who have been looking at in Essex's lineup for a few years now and always thinking on paper Essex ought to be challenging a finals day. And they haven't actually got them over the line too often. But just this season, at the back end of this season, there's something brewing in Essex. They're top of the county championship table. They're coming into finals day with momentum. It was a terrific win for them. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I, I think they're probably the outsiders going into finals day, as we'll mention. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think they probably just about value for for money for their uh, for their win on that night. Let's move on to the next one, and this was a crushing display by Nottinghamshire over Middlesex. So I think was this the first time they'd played in T20? It was uh, as extraordinary that their path shouldn't have crossed at any other point in this tournament. And well, when they did cross. 
Nottinghamshire, who began as one of the pre-tournament favourites, lost their first game against Worcestershire, which we'll talk about more anon. But on this occasion, 10 wicket victors, thanks to a massive, well, an opening partnership of 165 in response to Middlesex's 160 for 8. I think let's dwell a little on Middlesex because they have had a wretched time in T20 for a few years. Now, they look to be playing a totally different style of T20 from anybody else. And there, there were occasions this year when they just rose their head above the parapet where the constant selection of fast-medium bowlers in the likes of Helm and Finn was starting to pay dividends. But ultimately, when you're up against a barrage like that at Trent Bridge from Nash and Alex Hales, there's not a lot you can do. Yeah, um, you know, there, there was a point um, in that game when Morgan was well set, uh, when it looked as though they would have an outside chance of getting a sort of 180-ish score um, but when Harry Gurney got him towards the end of the 18th over, I think that was probably the the, the point at which the game was lost from their point of view. I, I mean, I say that they were 40 for four or something batting first, which, you know, you're always miles up against it. But they'd recovered quite well and then uh, things didn't go their way from that point. Um, you know, I think Stuart, Stuart Law deserves some credit for um, his ability to transform their white ball fortunes this year. And I think uh, from the sounds of things, Dowd Milan was quite uh, instrumental in... Uh, sort of putting together a blueprint at the start of the season of, as to what he wanted to do in T20, which I think he'd possibly been given more influence this year than he had in previous ones. Um, but yeah, I think quarterfinals is probably a fair reflection of a slightly inconsistent season, albeit a much improved one uh, from, from well, the majority of the past 10, really. What are they going to do differently still? I mean, I'm still not 100% convinced by their game plan. Uh, sometimes it worked when they had really huge performances from the batters from Morgan, for example, and A.B. de Villiers. But their bowling always struck me as being a trifle leaky. They, don't they need, I don't know, an extra leggy, something like that? Yeah, it's, it, it's hard to put, put an exact finger on. I think if you'd said those three seamers of Finn, Helm and Toby Rowland-Jones would do the, you know, would bowl over half their overs in the tournament, you'd think it would be the same old story. But I think... All three of those guys have improved a bit over the course of the year. Um, I think partly a consistency in overseas would, would have been useful. I, I think it was slightly disruptive to lose De Villiers in the middle and Hafiz came in for a few games and then Majib was back for the quarter to replace him, um, which isn't entirely helpful when your whole thing is that you have a settled side. Um, but, you know, generally I think they they... they quarterfinals is probably about right for the personnel they had um, you know probably counts as uh, being slightly more than the sum of the parts when you consider that there were some fairly unsung T20 bowlers in there As for Nottinghamshire we'll talk more about them uh, later on just worth noting that they were the only side actually to win at home so home advantage which we'd always imagine would be quite a big thing in T20 it was only really for Notts that it came good the next matchup saw Sussex my favourite team uh, as far as I'm concerned, the pound-for-pound pound best T20 side in the world, well, they got Moeen Alley. And uh, these things can happen. It's one of the wonders of T20. I mean, scoring 184 for six, Phil Salt again impressing with 72 or 40 balls. You'd have thought, especially at Hove, where 185 is a tough ask. That pitch can be slow and grabby and awkward. I, I thought they were favourites, and then, as can happen in T20, you get an inspired moment. And Moeen Alley was, wasn't he? 121 of 60 balls. Is it eight fours and 11 sixes? Something truly absurd. Yeah. Magnitude. Yeah, it was a ludicrous innings, wasn't it? There was a point in the first innings when Phil Salt was smashing uh, Daryl Mitchell over the leg side boundary that you thought this could get quite ugly, especially given Worcester had very little batting depth. 
Uh, they were short an overseas player. They, they, you know, they they had Joe Leach, who's a realistically a number eight or nine pinch hitting as an opener, and he was bold for one. And it looked as though they, they didn't have any kind of depth whatsoever. And then Moeen produced the sort of innings that, uh, you know, he does from time to time. And yeah, what a staggering knock it was, really. It was. Uh, I don't think Sussex fans should be too despondent. I'm afraid it's the way the cookie crumbles in T20 sometimes. And you know, if we had a different format, if we had the IPL format, then we'd probably have seen. Sussex going into an eliminator and then getting a further mm. opportunity but I'm afraid in one-off games these things can happen I, I still think Sussex are, are on the right track they've got the right blend of bowling and batting um, they may need to make Hove a bit more of a fortress I often find that they do better on the road than they do at Hove uh, and I'm not quite sure that that pitch 100% suits them but um, whilst I'm shedding a moderate tear that they won't be at finals day I'm also delighted that Moeen Ali's going to get an opportunity to defend that title in the last finals day. Uh, finally, uh, the last game between Gloucestershire and Derbyshire, I have very little to say about because it was it was dull. Yeah. Um, a, a shame for Gloucestershire, uh, another team that I like, but I, also magnificent for Derbyshire, who've snuck up on the rails. They appear to win low-scoring games quite frequently. That seems to be their modus operandi, and this really was another low score. 135 for 7, Gloucestershire made. Derbyshire knocking them off very comfortably. 137 for 3. It meant that all four sides who were chasing in the quarterfinals won, and 56 deliveries were left unbowled. And that's quite a lot. That's nine overs across two games at the tightest finish up at Chesterley Street, that four-ball win, and uh, one of the others, 22 balls left unbowled. So there was clearly, I don't, I'm not sure if it's an advantage or whether it's uh, the nature of T20 knockout that runs on the board count for a little bit less, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's you know possibly just one of those freak things that happened. I think there are, you know, Worcester would have struggled chasing, but for a sublime innings, uh, Gloucestershire just had a terrible night at the office. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to read too much into it. Um, the one thing I will say about that game was I enjoyed seeing Finn Hudson Prentice bowl for one of the first times I've oh, seen yes, him. Oh, yes, tell me more. So it, I, I'll go into the gory details and the full lowdown on uh, Derby and their, their modus operandi for the, in, later in the pod. But, uh, you know, Finn Hudson Prentice is realistically, he's every second-year English literature student at a Russell Group University. He's got, he's got this sort of floppy haircut, double-barreled surname, uh, it speaks with quite a posh voice. He's, you know, got a, little, a fairly ropey bit of stubble, and he, he, he's, he's definitely going to tell you about having read James Joyce when he hasn't. But you know, he, he, he bowled a, he bowled a brilliant spell. He took two for twenty six from his four overs. Uh, he, he's tasked with bowling the difficult overs uh, reasonably often, one or two in the power play, one or two at the death. Uh, and yeah, he's he's sort of uh, exactly the sort of player that you'd expect Derbyshire to have a young guy who maybe didn't make it at the, his first county uh, in Sussex but has has found a home there and is is thriving so there we have it those are the four semi-finalists that have made it through and the draw was made uh, for fans of underdogs it's a great draw finals day is going to begin with Nottinghamshire against Worcestershire which was how the tournament began way back when at Trent Bridge, a game I saw, which Worcestershire won very comfortably, Moeen Ali starring again. But So Notts will play Worcester in the first game. Then in the second semi-final, it's going to be Derbyshire against Essex. So, so there's going to be a team in that final that I don't think any of us predicted or thought would make it all the way through to the end. And there's going to be the holders or one of the pre-tournament favourites. So how do you see that panning out? Let's, let's start with 
not against Worcester. Uh, both have been pretty consistent sides in this year's tournament. They've had little blips. Not Nottinghamshire went through a phase when they just lost a few on the on the bounce. Worcestershire didn't finish as strongly as they might. Both have been hampered a little bit by rain. Uh, I saw Worcestershire against the Birmingham Bears, and I was impressed by them. They'll have a few concerns, like Pat Brown perhaps having an awkward second album of a season. But as long as they've got Moeen Alley fit and firing, they're going to be a serious danger. And the same is true of, of Knotts. Do you see that as a kind of uh, a run-fest shootout? Um, not necessarily. What I do see it as uh, is being a shame that that's a semi-final rather than a final. Um, I think out of the four teams left, those are, for me, by far the two stronger. Uh, I would say that, uh, you know, if you look, Knotts won in 2017, Worcester won in 2018... Both of them are probably just as strong uh, now. And, yeah, I think those are definitely the two best teams out of the four, as far as I'm concerned. Um, um, what, what can other sides learn from that? Because we talked a lot on this podcast about how T20 is a capricious beast, how um, you know you don't expect sides to, say, win 10 or 11 out of 14 matches because that's just not the nature of it. And yet what we're describing here is two sides who have got a bit of a dynasty going, like back at the start of T20 where Surrey and Leicestershire were uh, consistently winning. Uh, we've seen Northants go through a phase when they were consistently winning. What is it that Knotts and Worcester are doing right? Because it's clearly something that they are doing right because it's a repeatable um, result. Well, Knotts, the first point is probably, they, you know, compared to a lot of counties, they have a big budget um, and they're happy to invest in... Uh, white ball players and you've probably seen that to the detriment of their championship side this year which has struggled badly and looks you know set for a winless season but um, I I think there's probably a good case I'll probably stick, stick my neck out a bit here and say I think it's probably as good a squad as has ever been assembled in English domestic T20 um, if you look at so here, here, a list of seven players who didn't make it into their uh, side for that quarter final through uh, in one case injury and in the case of six others non-selection uh, Stephen Mullaney who was injured and then those who didn't make it because they weren't picked Joe Clark, Zach Chappell, Jake Bull, Luke Fletcher, Paul Coughlin and Ben Slater and I think pretty much to a man most of those would get into the vast majority of T20 teams in the country um, and you know I think that's that's testament to uh, to just how strong a side they are. Uh, it looks as though Imad Wazim is probably going to miss uh, finals day due to um, a Pakistan training camp for a one day series. Uh, so one of those guys will come in. It's an IPL level of bench strength, really. It's uh, you know the, easy for you to say. Yeah, it's uh, they they look like a really serious outfit, and uh, I think they're they're my favourites going into the day. Who are going to be key for them? Do you think? Uh, so I, I really like a couple of the unsung guys this year. Um, Jake Libby, no one will be talking about um, apart from a handful of us going into this, but he's, he's played three innings uh, in their nine games this year and he's got 85 runs off 76 balls, which sounds pretty dull, but he's got a very similar ro uh, role to what Billy Root did in 2017, uh, who similarly played, you know, only batted four times in ten games as they went on to win. Um, where basically he is, if if not to have a shocker in the power play, he will go in and knock it about. He's very good against spin in the middle overs, and he's all right against uh, pace at the end. 
which means that he basically is a sort of insurance policy um, and lets everyone else free their arms. So people like Tom Moores and Dan Christian and Stephen Mullaney can go and whack it in the knowledge that um, they haven't they have a proper batsman coming in behind them rather than uh, just bowlers left. Uh, and another who I really like is Matt Carter, who's a young, very tall off spinner. Um, he's a very different type of spinner to uh, Samet, who's their other one in the middle overs. Um, in that he sort of, he, you know, he doesn't turn the ball prodigiously, but he will, he will, um, he bowls from a, a big. He's, I think he's about six foot four, six foot five, uh, and he really gets a lot of dip on it with the new ball, and is very difficult to get away early on, um, especially when people have to beat a, a close field. I think he's going at just over sixes and in the power play which is a serious effort um, in terms of bigger names obviously it's going to be a massive day for Alex Hales um, who will you know I think he's probably going to miss out on that T20 international uh, squad to go to New Zealand we'll find out a couple of days later but if he could make some more statement runs like he did in the quarters um, that would be a, a massive thing for his career I think and not forgetting Harry Gurney as well who off the back of big bash success at the start of this year he'd love yet another bauble um, and he has been key to them, hasn't he? He's been key seam bowler. Now, Worcestershire, on the other hand, it's hard really to see beyond Moeen as their their big stars, but they have a cohesiveness. Given that it's a county that's, I'm not going to say in turmoil, but they've not had an easy season of it. They've certainly not got the results they would have liked in the county championship. Um, they weren't that particularly impressive in the 50-over tournament. To be where they are again, and, as I say, defending a title... It's hugely impressive, and it isn't just down to one man, is it? No, there's a good group of uh, young bowlers and people like Dylan Pennington and uh, Brown. I think it's it, the, the crucial thing has been that they've given the young players a chance to actually find their feet um, over the course of the tournament and trusted in them and not not sort of... I think the, 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 the fear that quite often creeps into teams, not just in T20 and not just in cricket, is that you give a young player a bit of an opportunity and if it doesn't quite work out early on, you think, right, we've got to scrap that. And Instead, they've allowed guys to develop while in the first team um, and therefore flourish. And Pennington's a real you know, beanpole, six foot four quick and hits the deck hard. And Brown's got all his slower balls and variations and knuckleballs, which we'll see again. And good chance to impress after yeah it, we, we talk about we I, I did a piece with him at the start of the um, start of the group stage where we talked about the possibility of it being you know sophomore slump or whatever for him um, and you know I, I spoke to him before the quarters and he said it's you know perhaps not been quite the season he was after but I, I don't think he's had an, a terrible time he's going at you know eight or nine which is pretty standard for someone who bowls the hard overs uh, and yeah, this is the the perfect stage, the biggest stage in English domestic cricket, really, to uh, to prove that he's he's still one to be keeping a, a close eye on. Uh, so I'm going to have a prediction from you. Uh, not. Oh, absolutely, definitely certain. I have not. Yeah. Well, um, as I said, I saw Worcestershire uh, almost destroy, really, Nottinghamshire in the first match of the season. I'm also emotionally attached to the notion of Moeen Ali winning. So I will take Worcestershire. You can have not. Now then. I promise that we'll allow you to do this. <laughs> uh, you are the world's expert on Derbyshire County Cricket Club, outside of Derbyshire County Cricket Club. What is it that has happened at Derbyshire that has propelled them to finals day, where they will be playing Essex and have a really seriously realistic chance of making it to the final? I don't mean this in a traducing way, but Derbyshire, I think we'd have to say out of the 18 counties, 
wouldn't be most people's first choice for appearing <laughs> on T20 finals day, let alone in the final. And yet they got themselves a really good chance. How has this madness happened? Um, well, after uh, after the end of the group stage and after the quarterfinals, in fact, we had a couple of people uh, chatting to Hopsy and I on Twitter um, about our, our predictions at the start of the campaign. And uh, I'd put in my preview that I didn't think Gloucestershire would make it through um, and that they weren't as strong as last year. So someone was uh, telling me, you know, never write off the glorious Gloucesters and you know, fair, fair enough. I probably got that one wrong. Uh, but Hopsy in his North Group preview had said that... Uh, it said uh, Derbyshire have never made it to T20 finals day and that is not about to change was his uh, was how he put it and yet it has um, and I think a lot of credit has to go to Dominic Cork he's coming as the T20 specialist head coach uh, this is the third season I think uh, that Derbyshire have had a T20 specialist head coach it was a slightly unlikely figure of uh, Mumbai Indians as John Wright uh, for the past two years uh, but Wright took them to a, uh, a quarter where they were Shahida Freedied in 2017. Uh, and then last year, they basically lacked uh, batting. They actually had a, a, a... Looking back on it, it's slightly mad that they came seventh in the group last year because they had a pretty similar bowling attack to this year's, plus Lockie Ferguson, Wahab Riaz and Hardis Villiern, which, you know, when you when you think of those three, is a serious squad. Um but yeah, I think so. I'm going to just do a couple of things as to where I think they've been really good. Um, the first thing is that they've been brilliant at the death with the ball. Um, they've taken more wickets in the death overs, so I'm saying 15 onwards uh, than any other team. 37 uh, in 59 overs at the death. Uh, they have the third best economy rate of 8.35 in the death overs. Uh, and only Durham and Gloucester, who both play on uh, much lower scoring wickets at home, have better ones. Uh, and Ravi Rampal... Uh, who has been the the improbable star of this year's T20 Blast, we'd have to say, uh, has taken 14 wickets in the death overs. His death over stats, he's bowled 126 balls, he's gone for 142 runs uh, and taken 14 wickets. He has the best economy at the death of anyone who's bowled four overs uh, and he's been an absolute revelation, to be fair to him. He's an on-trend hero, I'd have to say. I mean, if you think about Jack Leach for England... Ravi Rampal. I, I know they're a different uh, body shape, but they still give hope to the slightly more um, sedentary and luxurious gentleman, of which I count myself one. I saw him a fair bit when he was at Surrey. He's been around for years. I really didn't give him much hope of pulling up trees in this year's tournament, but he has been truly magnificent. It is in their bowling that you sort of sense uh, Derbyshire's identity, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I know they've had batsmen that have performed this year, but it's them sucking the, the lifeblood out of other sides. Yeah, I think so. They, we, we've spoken a couple of times when we've been trying to theorise as to how they were doing so well. That I think it's mainly the fact they have a, uh, a very strong bowling attack and uh, then back it up with a sort of um, a useful but not not explosive batting unit. So um, when I was digging stats out earlier, they have... The fourth worst strike rate at the death out of any batting side, which probably is, is the uh, evidence that they don't have much in, in the way of lower order superstars. They don't have, say, a Ross Whiteley type of a character who can come in and blitz it. Um, the other points I had, they, they, they have a very settled squad. Uh, they've used 14 players all season uh, and they have eight ever presents in there. Um, one of those players who's not been um, an ever present has been Anuj Dahl, who's 
played the past three games effectively as a specialist fielder. He's yet to bowl or face a ball in the tournament. Would you believe... The Jim Fote of 2019, <laughs> for those of you who remember the Gloucestershire fielding specialist of the 1970s. Uh, I'll pretend to have any idea who you're talking about there, Dan. Um, but yeah, and with the bat, um, then we have... So from, the, uh, from last year's vintage, who, uh, as I say, were very good with the ball, but... It, not really good enough in terms of uh, their batting. They've added Lewis Deploy and Lewis Reese, who's fit again, uh, and sort of Arsene Wenger like a new signing uh, type of an addition. And both of them have got um, more than 300 runs for the tournament. Um, but the, the real star um, has been Wayne Madsen, who's you know he's done it for a while. We, we all know about him now, but he's he's had one of arguably one of the, the great T20 seasons in English domestic cricket. He's got 447 runs. An average a shade below 50 and striking at uh, 147. I was trying to find players who had had um, a similarly impressive season in terms of having scored more runs at a higher average and a high strike rate. Um, and there's almost none over uh, the course of T20 since 2003. I think I had Finch and Ingram last year and Luke Wright in 2015. And other than that, almost no one's had had uh, this good a season. Uh, so he is one to keep a, a serious eye on. He scored 47 in the quarters and barely got out of second gear. Well, you've had your say on Derbyshire. <laughs> Let's move on to Essex, the final of the four semi-finalists we've yet to discuss. And we said at the top of the programme, how has it happened? <laughs> how, have, how have Essex snuck their way through? The combination of factors, I think, is that they've played a lot worse than they should have done earlier on, which meant that we sort of wrote them off. And now they're reaching a peak. They're playing to a potential. They're not quite the Essex team I would have said of three or four years ago. But when Cameron Delport gets it right, he's terrifying uh, for, for bowlers to bowl at. Ryan Tenderskarter, Ravi Bapara. They do have, look, they're, they're top of the county championship table. They've got some quality, quality players, haven't they? And they're coming good at just the right time. Yeah, it's, um, I've, you know, I, I've been baffled to an extent as to how Essex have managed to do this but um, I, I was chatting to Harry Gurney for a piece um, that should be on the site by the time this goes out um, and uh, he, we were talking about how you know a lot of the time the best T20 teams if you think Mumbai Indians do this regularly in the IPL they sort of struggle a bit to, to start the tournament while they're still working out their combinations working out their best team working out who should bowl which overs sort of learning on the job almost and then by the time they sort of reach the halfway point or in, in Essex case the, the sort of two thirds three quarters point uh, they, they've uh, laid down a marker so that everything can come together based on that um, the problem then arises that um, having worked that out they've then been shorn of their two best bowlers in Adam Zampa and Mohamed Amir who are both going to miss finals day uh, Zampa's gone back to play for South Australia in the one day cup down, in, down there and uh um, is on this training camp that means Imad Wazim's going to be missing as well um, and that will probably throw them off their plans uh, quite substantially out of the bowlers who are going to play on finals day only Ravi Bapara has gone at less than 9 and over in the tournament which is pretty bleak when you think about it as a stat so we're going to be talking about um, people like Jamie Porter, Aaron Beard, Matt Quinn who are hardly the, the sort of shining lights of T20 uh, but you know, maybe they can pull something remarkable off. If there's if if there's ever been a happy dressing room, it must be theirs at the moment. You'd think. Um, well, they've probably got the right side to face in the semi-final in a way, because their batting has depth, and uh, they do have hitters 
down the order and they do still come at you hard whereas uh, Derbyshire perhaps rely a little bit more on a few batters up near the top of the order they can Essex might think themselves well, we can chase down 180, 190 uh, we shall see now you touched on a, a few things there we've heard a lot about overseas players that aren't going to be available how many overseas players are there going to be at finals day? I, I, I think you told me it was three. It is. It's 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 a really sad state of affairs, really. And um, you know, it, it, I, I can't remember exactly how I described the blast at one point and its treatment by the powers that be earlier in the season. But something like you know, a stray cat who has occasionally left out a saucer of milk by the counties who bother investing some time and money in it. But in terms of its sort of primary owner, it's been uh, fairly well. Uh, well. It left has, out in the cold. It has been left out in the cold, and yet it has attracted more um, more viewers and more people rocking up to the grounds than ever in this epic summer of English sport, or epic summer of English cricket, we should say. So it, it's one of the more um, curious conundrums, you'd have to say. Uh, obviously, the timing has not helped for overseas players. I think the the way the quarterfinals were scheduled sucked all the energy out of the competition. It was mm. reaching and building quite beautifully and then got hidden behind an absolutely key Ashes match. And then this finals day is sort of tacked on just as people are now forgetting about cricket domestically in England and thoughts of turning to European football matches between different clubs. And it, it, it seems to me to be a terrible shame. As for the spectacle itself, it's going to be the last finals day as we know it. Yeah, it's um, we've we've you can again read on the site um, today. We've got the details for uh, the hundred uh, men's and women's finals days next year, which are both going to take the the KSL's format of uh, second place, third, followed by uh, the winner of that game which against I the like, group winner. Which is, way, it, it is a, a very good format. format. Um, and we are still going to have a, a sort of secondary blast finals day at the start of September next year, um, which has also been. I, so that'll I, be that'll be all the way. At the end of September, so yeah, so the, so, the, so the blast will take place in June, will it? it? So the blast will finish by the second week of July, and uh, or, or the group stage will, uh, followed by some quarterfinals at some unknown point late in August, presumably, um, and then finals day, which is, which is slightly mad. But um, I think that the, the most irritating thing about this year is it looks as though with a slightly slightly more forward planning and you know maybe even slightly better intentions it could have been this whole thing could have been avoided you could have had the quarterfinals one week earlier and the gap between the third and the fourth tests you could have had finals day two weeks earlier than it is which would have been nicely between Old Trafford and Oval tests uh, and also in the in the uh, crucially in the international break uh, during the Premier League season which you know while it might not seem like a massive consideration I believe I heard somewhere that um the the main event channel on uh, on Sky is going to be starting by showing Newcastle v Brighton rather than the start of the the final, and you'll have to go on Sky the Sky Ashes or Sky Cricket or whatever it currently is to. Uh, well, yeah, you know, all of that is is somewhat deflating, isn't it? So, let us segue out of this gloom and doom into the things that we really love about Finals Day, because as you point out, there will be Finals Days to come. But this feels like the end of an era, the end of the one that mm-hmm. I suppose is, is the premier domestic short-form um, trophy that everyone wants to get their hands on. So what is it that appeals to you about finals day? Obviously there's the, uh, there's the ribaldry, there's the shirts, there's the nuns, there's the, you know, the policemen and Donald Trump masks and what have you. But 
Uh, do you think finals day has, has now become embedded as an institution in domestic cricket just as we're about sort of to allow it to slip away from our consciousness perhaps? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's such a big stage as well. I think the players love it because they know not only is the crowd going to be great and loud and raucous throughout the whole game, they know that it's the, it is the stage where if you score runs, you're suddenly rocketed up in, in the estimations of uh, selectors. Like I, I remember in uh, 2016, Ben Duckett got some runs on finals day and I think he hit might have done the year before as well um, and that helped him no end in terms of international selection and uh, I'm sure there are plenty of other examples that escape me right now But It's a T20 World Cup planning year as well of course so yeah. that, there's going to be a little bit of that in mind um, Yeah so you, you know people like uh, Moeen and Hales and even someone like Joe Clark or Ben Duckett again or Tom Moores or someone could you know make a massive name for themselves by uh, having having a wonderful day on finals day you think of someone like Pat Brown last year who while he was a, a, a poorly kept secret in that um, those of us who had followed the competition closely were, were sort of just about aware of him and had seen that he was sort of the surprise uh, leader in the wicket taking list his his stock rose enormously by having a good finals day I think he took four for in the semi and then went for 15 in his four overs in the final and that's the sort of thing that made that you know it's the making of a career he, he was in the IPL auction and by all accounts wasn't too far from being picked up um, almost in tight well you know he'd had a good season as well but largely on the back of two good performances I have to say that I won't overly miss as I say this I'll probably be back at next year's finals day but I'm not massively going to miss the length of the day I mean I do think that it started off as a, a lovely idea, but the reality is that, obviously, the supporters of two teams can often filter away. The fact that it takes place every year at Edgebaston and nobody really knows who's coming means that the, the crowd is often skewed towards local people in ways that old Lords finals really used to be people coming in from, from both those teams, supporters from both those teams pitching up. And that, I don't think, happens quite so much. I do think that the last match it becomes quite unmemorable just simply because of the sheer weight of cricket that there's been before mm. uh, that the crowd as I say has built it off and what is still there 70% of them are inebriated which means that it's it's often quite difficult within about a week and a half to put your finger on what it was that you saw so as a showpiece occasion it lacks something a little bit in the way that you know the IPL final is an event in and of itself there's something that I've always thought was inherently not quite perfect about finals day but then to set against that there's a, just the absurd party atmosphere the fact that this year notwithstanding the last round of county championship matches which still promises to throw up a, an emotional story or two next week it, it is really the end of the razzmatazz for the English season uh, I will put out there that one thing though that uh, I would be happy never to see again is the mascot race um yeah, I wouldn't particularly miss it. I think um, if you think in terms of the uh... is that being grumpy? I mean, maybe <laughs> I, it's, it's very, it's very, it's it, very Dan, off message, but it. <laughs> I mean, I just think it's so like completely skewed in favour of Vinnie the Viking from Yorkshire, um, and, and Lanky the giraffe doesn't stand a chance because he's so top heavy. Yeah, there's just no way. I there mean, the centre be... of gravity's are ruined. Alfred G. Riller is always going to stand a much much better chance than you know. Is it Sid the shark? Just, just because of the way those those costumes go, I think there should be a handicapping system. We need some red tape. We need some regulation. We yep. need, you know, we need waiting system. Maybe they we need, need to be tested categories. as well. Yeah, yeah. I think some of those some of those animals have definitely got a few PEDs in them. But uh, yeah, no, I think if we if we talk about finals day as a format, um, 
it's unique and that probably is proof of it being good and bad uh it's good in that you know it's it's something completely different that we don't see anywhere else but it's bad and that it's been going on for however many years and no one's decided to copy it which probably is telling in its own way it's um well it's, it's, a, it's a it's a wonderful occasion uh and i'm very much looking forward to this one but i don't think um i i think there's a, a very good reason why the ecb are going for the the uh the sort of two game rather than three game one uh for the hundred next year and well you uh, were at yeah. ksl finals day and you've sure, seen yeah. you've seen how well that works it just is a it's a delicious format yeah and uh and i think we can all get behind that um right finals day is approaching it's on saturday you and i are going to be there we will so this is not the final talking t20 of the summer not just yet we're still eking out the very last drops of summery goodness we will be back to give you some reaction to those two semi-finals and to applaud the winners and we'll probably dan i must interrupt yeah. you there you've not you're yet to tell me who your winners are for this this wonderful day uh worcestershire worcestershire to win yeah i want i want worcestershire i want it to happen so it must happen i want worcestershire to retain their their title i think it's been a really tough three or four months for Moeen Ali, who's been a stalwart of English cricket, and I want him to go out on a high. Uh, if it couldn't be them, I think I would giggle and giggle if Derbyshire won. And as I say, no, no disrespect to Derbyshire and the club and the county, but I don't think anybody saw it happening. And so there'd be a little bit of the old Leicester City fairy tale, uh, which I would enjoy. But uh, for you... I'm all in on knots, and they're going to yeah. beat Derby in the final. Beat Derby in the final. What an East Midlands derby. Indeed. No for less. For the final. Well, that'll be great fun. You and I are both going to be there. We shall report from that. We will give you full, in-depth coverage of what happened on that fateful and glorious day. But until then, from all of us here at ESPN Greg and Vogue, from Matt Roller. Good night. And from me, Daniel Norcross. A very fond farewell. 